Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm very happy you're with us today. Part of the fun of doing afterlife research is that there are some people in this field who, you know, really are researchers. I mean, they're researchers of almost the cloak and dagger variety. They revel in doing deep dive research. They're trying to unravel some genuine mysteries. And since the field of afterlife research is one in which there actually are some genuine villains and even better as in any good detective story, some of those villains are white hat villains. They're scientists. So you don't expect them to suspect that they're going to be, you know, really evil, but they're trying to keep the good guys from finding the truth or doing what's right. So actually they're kind of villains all the same. Those detective stories can be pretty exciting. If you've heard some of my older podcasts, I think you know where this is going. Mainstream science is distinctly not a friend of afterlife research. And by now you may have begun to explore seekreality.com and you've found that there Craig Hogan and I do not hesitate to tackle the scientific community head on and their foolish insistence in studying only what is material when in fact reality is fundamentally not material at all. Well, in reality, there have been some wonderful pioneers who are working in that field before we were. Our guest this week is Craig Weiler, who is with us for the third time. Craig is a parapsychology journalist, a speaker and host of the popular blog, The Weiler Psy on the science of parapsychology, skepticism, and the psychics. Craig is a graduate of UC Berkeley, and he runs a small construction business. He began his spiritual path during the New Age movement, teaching and practicing psychic healing. He says he doesn't follow any particular teachings, but he explores a very westernized mixture of science and spirituality. He lives on the San Francisco Peninsula with his wife and what he says is way too many cats. Now, we have one cat and one cat is way too many cats, in my opinion, although I love her dearly. He's on the social media site Quora, where he answers questions on a wide range of topics and administers a parapsychology space with over 13,000 followers. Welcome, my dear friend, Craig. It's lovely to have you back with us again. Roberta, it is great to be here. I always have a great time talking to you. Thank you. (laughs) Craig's terrific book from England's esteemed and prestigious White Crow Books is called Psy Wars, Ted, Wikipedia, and the Battle for the Internet. I love the title and I love the book. It was first published in 2013 and it's out last fall in a new edition. And Craig was our guest last fall when it first came out. Craig is the science editor for Paranormal Daily News, which can be found at paranormaldailynews.com, not surprisingly. You told me back that last fall that, and, and no, actually, I guess you told me just recently, but anyway, we had some fascinating news to talk about this time. And 
I did read that link, as you can tell, I'm all scattered because we've been working this spring on seekreality.online while I still try to practice law. I keep practicing law because I'll just never get it right. But that's all right. I love doing it. But it's been a huge distraction to be doing my daily work plus Seek Reality Online. And I read that that uh, link that you sent me and then I promptly forgot what it was all about. So we're going to have to ask you to walk us through it. But it was fascinating. You told me, though, that you could sum it all up and it comes down to, and I love this, I just have to read it. Just as the magical traditions have always maintained, belief modulates psi performance. So in other words, if you don't believe in magic, then no magic for you. Just like just like the, the, the soup Nazi, no magic for you, no soup for you. I love that. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, so uh, the story here is that I was at a, uh, I was at an online conference for the Parapsychological Association. They are the scientific body that uh, basically manages the, the scientific output of various researchers around the world. And I was at one of the conferences. This one had to do with the theories of psychic ability. And I ran into uh, a fellow there. His name was Russell Gruber. And he, uh, he explained that he had done 18 years of parapsychology research uh, and hadn't told anybody about it. This was at Eastern Illinois University. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> Are you kidding me? 18 years and nobody knows about this stuff? <laughs> That was completely unheard of. Okay, nobody does that. But he did. Right. And, and uh, he, had a, he had a few reasons for it. Uh, and some of, them, some of them are more interesting than others. The, the first reason was obviously that, uh, you know, when you start doing parapsychology at an American university, you can draw unwanted attention, which can mess with your ability to do the research. So by doing this really, really quietly and on the side uh, and not making a bunch of noise about it, the university just let him do, do his thing for 18 years. So that part of his plan was successful. And the other thing, which was, and this gets into the real weirdness of psychic ability, uh, that he uh, was afraid that as soon as he started publishing his research, uh, it would mess everything up. Uh, and and you, it sounds weird. It does but, because eighteen years. Let's that's kind of crazy. It, it is, yeah. But the thing is that psychic ability is weird. And when he was explaining this to other researchers at another conference that uh, I just attended, they all started laughing because they knew exactly what he meant. Um, <laughs> as soon as other people get into your research, the uh, I guess, for lack of a better word, the field around it changes. And so getting results is now a different process. And by staying in his own space, doing his own thing in his own way, he was able to get the results that he wanted. I know that's batshit, but <laughs> uh, apparently that's a thing in parapsychology. Uh, there are just, there's some weird, weirdness to it. Uh, and so he continued uh, doing this for 18 years. And then what happened was 
uh, when he was at the conference, uh, he said he needed somebody to publicize this. Well, this is what I do. So I was really happy to uh, have the opportunity to be the first person to read through his work and make sense of it. I mean, this is just a real big honor for me. I'm a parapsychology journalist. I live for this stuff. So uh, I worked with him for on and off for about a month of God knows how many uh, Zoom calls trying to get this, get this all down pat. There were uh, nine different um, gra- graduate level essays that, that contained most of the work. And so I read all of them and then condensed this down into about a 19 minute uh, article so that people could understand what was going on. And then I had this looked over by Dean Radin so that he could make some comments from a parapsychologist's point of view. Uh, Dean Radin is a senior researcher and basically the god of parapsychology. Explain where he is, what, what he does. Everything. <laughs> right. If it has to do with parapsychology, he's done it. Right. And uh, he is, he's written several books and he is... Uh, so, so he's the person where, where he walks in the room and everybody kind of bows at his feet. He's, he's got that kind of status in parapsychology. Right. Um, not literally, it's a, but uh, <laughs> he, uh, so, so having, having him look it over was a, a big plus. And so he made some comments and we changed it and, uh, and, and made the article a little bit more accurate. It turned out that I had... Uh, made a big deal about stuff that other researchers had already gone over. Um, in fact, most of this research that I'm working through is, uh, or, or that I wrote about, has to do with uh, stuff that other researchers have already delved into, but they haven't looked at it quite the same way. Um, and the big deal about uh, Russell Gruber's research is that he went into great deal, a great deal of um, effort to go into the aspect of psychic testing, which is known as psi missing. Um, so psi missing is a, is a weird thing in parapsychology because you can get right answers in a test and show your psychic ability, but you can also get so many wrong answers that that shows psychic ability too. Why? Explain that. Uh, well, it's in, uh, in technical terms, this is called a two-tailed test. So what you're trying to do is beat the, uh, beat the odds of chance results. Okay, so uh, you, have, you, have, you can choose, um, you have a target, and there are four possibilities, and you have to get, guess the right target. Okay, so your uh-huh. chances are one in four. 25%. So what you, if you do this test and there are 10, 10 opportunities and you miss all 10 of them, that demonstrates psychic ability almost as if you had gotten 10 of them right. <laughs> Except you're missing. In other words, it's, it's, it's what's also called psi avoidance. Some part of you knows what that target is and then misses it. Golly. <laughs> now that, that's that's the base. 
believe it or not, that's just ordinary parapsychology right there. It's a statistical, wow. it's a statistical thing where you can beat the, you, you can have results in excess of chance by missing. And oh, he my set, word. I know. <laughs> and he set up his test in a very specific way. Um, so you get, he had, he had a, a box with four different squares and you had to guess the correct one. One box was marked hit and one box was marked miss. And the way that works is if you, if you get a blank box, you keep going. But if you get a hit or a miss, you stop. And this makes your chance of getting a hit and a chance of getting a miss the same. You follow? Yeah, I'm trying to. <laughs> okay. Wow. All right. So the, the, the important part, the important information to take away here is that is that the test was designed so that getting a hit or getting a miss is basically two sides of the same result. Wow. So this was his test. It was a very elegant, easy test for the people, for, for the uh, students, actually, that he, he used as test subjects. And so they, all they had to do was guess. And sometimes they got hits and sometimes they got misses. And you could, with really easy statistically, tell whether somebody was missing or whether they were hitting. So what did he do with this? All kinds of things. One, in one particular test, for example, he had people send the wrong... He had he told the receiver to try to get hits and had senders deliberately try to send him misses to see what would happen. So the senders were trying to convey the information telepathically that he that they're trying to telepathically give him the wrong answer. And the receiver was trying to get the correct answer. And in those particular situations, the receiver would get would uh, exceed chance getting wrong answers. So why is that important? Because the reason that it's important uh, getting, wrong an getting, getting wrong answers from the senders is that you know for sure you're using telepathy and not something else. Um, this, is a, this is the discussion within the world of parapsychology of you know, consciousness is a black box and we don't know whether this person is getting the doing this through clairvoyance or maybe they're using precognition and seeing the answer first before they encounter it but in this particular case we know it's telepathy because the people were were getting the information from the senders and getting it wrong because that's what the senders were doing to them they were del deliberately screwing them up so that was an interesting uh little bit of scientific research that wow. turned up uh, an interesting result uh, another thing they did was they had what they call unselected uh, groups. In other words, uh, the students there, they, they weren't handpicked for being good at psychic ability. They just trooped everybody in the room, regardless of what they, um, regardless of what talent they had or what, what talent they didn't, and had everybody do the same test. They did do a survey beforehand to find out whether, whether they were... Um, whether they were skeptical or whether they were psi friendly uh, and a few other things. 
so that they could break that data out when they, uh, when they looked at the tests. And what they found was really interesting. The people who believed in psychic ability exceeded chance in hits, and the people who disbelieved in psychic ability exceeded chance in missing. <laughs> that is amazing. And this is what we call the mirror worlds effect. Because um, in order to miss more than chance, the people who are skeptical have to, at some level, know where the hit is and where the miss is. Oh, my word. So they, yeah, so they psychically know what the answer is, but they don't want to believe in psychic ability, so they're getting the answer wrong. Oh, this is, no. This is the really fascinating takeaway from this research. Now, Amazing. you can also, they also have, you know, friendliness versus unfriendliness also produce the same thing, where you'd get, you'd get uh, a bump of people who exceeded chance uh, if they were friendly, and they would be less than chance if they were, or they would exceed chance in missing if they were unfriendly. And there were some other ones too. And what it was showing, and this is the really interesting part, is through research, they're showing that your mindset is creating your reality. Now, it, you know, we already knew this, but it's really interesting to actually see it ha- play out in a scientific experiment. Well, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, and that was, and that's something that you look at that and then you can, you, you can start expanding on this. And going, well, if if they're missing psychically in a test, what else are they missing on? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, you know, having a negative frame of mind will narrow the choices that you can see. Amazing. Isn't it? Uh, totally amazing. No soup for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no Well, we we sort of think that, though, don't we? I mean, there's some people who have a wonderfully positive attitude and somehow things break right for them all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, that happens to me a lot in some areas of my life. Um, For example, I I tend to attract really good clients in my construction business. Uh, And that has a lot to do with the fact that I'm honest, very, very honest, friendly, and competent and I have that energy about me and what happens is is that I get clients who are just the same way and so we we find each other and then everybody's happy and there are some people whose lives they just can't catch a break they no no matter what they just and and if you listen to them talk you can tell why yeah pessimistic I have a friend like that yeah, negative about a whole bunch of stuff, and um, you even when you tell him, you, well, you can't, you know, you can always tell a skeptic, but you can't tell him much, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. How um, true that is. You know, and, and he's open to this kind of stuff, but you know, for example, in way okay, for first of all, we've been friends since forever. And so we were, we went through, we all went through this period where everybody was around the time when we could buy houses. 
I know that that this generation, this is a completely different experience, but I'm old enough that this was a thing, um, especially in the Bay Area. And so everybody was uh, everybody was getting in the position to buy houses and he wouldn't listen to anybody. He thought the housing market was going to tank. And the rest of us were going, you're insane. <laughs> yeah. uh, he wouldn't listen. And he's in a he's in a less than ideal situation when it comes to housing. He does own, but it's, uh, you know, the difference between uh, what a couple of us have been able to achieve and him, it's like night and day. And he had more money than us. Yeah. Yeah. No, but that is, but it is true. I mean, people's, people's attitude so much has determined their position in life what they've been able to do. And, and, um, and you're right, the, the kinds of clients that they attract and, and how they work with their clients, their, their, their attitude toward, toward, toward working with their clients has hugely determined their success with them. I, I see that all the time. And, and I, I guess I've always known it was true, but you've really proven it there. And it's so much in the, or, or your, your friend has, and, but it took 18 years to do it. How soon was he getting results like this? Um, immediately, but it did take him some time to, uh, uh, so, so Russell, uh, you know, he would do uh, a project every semester uh, or maybe some, well, not, not even every semester. Sometimes, you know, he, it would take, you know, he'd, he'd do, they do a lot of prep and then they get an experiment done in one year. And then uh, one of his students would, uh, do a master's thesis out of it uh, and then it would another one would come in another year uh, and some some years nothing happened it's it's just the way things played out for him you know just the um, the things had to line up for experimental results so and, and in addition to that um, you know this was stuff that he did after hours this wasn't um, in class so he'd have to uh, you know finish finish teaching classes, rush out, grab something to eat, maybe run to the bank so that he could get money for, for to hand out during an experiment, go back to the college, run this experiment for the next three hours or whatever it took, then go home and then do it next Wednesday. Right. So, so uh, yeah, so this, he couldn't do a lot at a time, this kind of thing to, you know, when you have to do it in addition to your regular work, it takes a toll on you. But did it always turn out pretty much the same or is, was it sometimes not remarkable and sometimes quite remarkable? Um, so this is the thing about parapsychology research that's kind of weird. And I've, I've had quite a few conversations with them about that. So in, with psychic ability, nobody is ever going to have a perfectly reliable experiment that works all the time with everybody. Not going to happen. But one of the weird things about it is that you will do this, you'll do an experiment and maybe you were looking over, over here for this thing, but you were also, you know, you also had some other parameters, but this other parameter here that you weren't focused on this one, everything went wild. So (laughs) maybe he was focused on friendliness and stuff on this one, but the skeptic versus the believer over here completely uh, you, you know, completely turned into a ma- an amazing uh, result. And this happens to everybody. Right. And it's not just 
um, oh, we barely made it over the threshold of uh, of success. This would be like, um, you know, like 5,000 to one or something. So, so, you know, you couldn't chalk that up to uh, what they call p-hacking. Uh, are you familiar with that term? No. Okay. So um, in, uh, in psychology experiments, and uh, especially, but also in parapsychology, there's the possibility of um, what they call data mining. Uh, and that is that you go through all of your results looking for a place where you had statistically significant results, but you have so much data in there that you can possibly get a statistically significant result by chance. That's, it's just, it's just how chance works. Um, it, uh, you'll, you'll sometimes through complete chance have a result that looks uh, statistically significant. So if, if your cutoff is 20 to one and you run 20 different experiments, well, you're gonna hit that, that 20 to one, right? Um, and so this is, this is something that you have to watch for. But if you're, if you're running all of those different, um, different avenues, but the result is huge, and then you do it again, and then the result is huge, but it was someplace else, and then you do it again, and the result was huge, but it's someplace else, that's an actual effect. That's not just um, screwing around with the data. I, I know it's a little complicated. It's statistics. Um, but it all makes sense. Um, you know, it's like if you're testing 20 jelly beans for whether, um, whether they make you feel good and, and you're, so you have odds of 20 to one that you're looking for and you do 20 jelly beans, one of them is going to make you feel good by chance. Does that make well, sense? It will make you feel good because you happen to love jelly beans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know that was probably not the greatest example. <laughs> But, um, all right. So, so, so this, this turns out um, to, to actually, <laughs> although, oh my goodness, 18 years, what a long time to be doing something. And, I know. But I know, is he, is he publishing all of this or has he's had his students publish? His students um, did master's theses, which were not formally published, formally published, but they did go through um, a strong review process within the university. So Russell was not the only ones to look at them. They were several staff members uh, within the university, including somebody who, you know, was excellent statistically and a couple of people who had absolutely no interest in, psych in parapsychology at all. And all these people got together and they looked at these uh, master theses uh, to approve them. So it, they did get review, but not a formal review like you would get when you're publishing in a journal. Well, he's very generous to be sharing the uh, sharing the wealth this way with the with the students. Good for him. Um, yeah, well, it works out for everybody because they have a you know they get their master thesis done, and now they have um, uh, you know a, a master's in psychology. So win win. Yeah, win yeah, win um, for everybody. Good yeah. Figure. So what, one of the things that he found from the research was that psi missing is actually easier to obtain than psi hitting. 
So it's easier to get people to miss than to hit. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and it's apparently just as statistically significant if they miss the, or if they hit. If you set up you the experiment said. that way, yes. Um, huh. So one of the things about this research is if you get a, a big group of people that are unselected in any way and have them all do the same experiment, if you if you put all of the results just together in a pot, you're not going to get you're, you're going to get a result that that doesn't show anything, and and the reason is that everybody's canceling each other out. <laughs> wow. So uh, what he was showing in these experiments is that you have to um, if you tease the results out so that so that you find out. Um, who's going to miss and who's going to hit, then you can show in the data that you have a very strong psi effect because you have these people hitting and these people missing in the same, uh, for the same thing. So believer, non-believer, friendly, unfriendly, um, that sort of thing. Right. And then you look at how, uh, how possible is it by chance that you would get this result? And the difference between the two, when you ask that question, how likely is it to get this result where you have people on one end hitting and people on the other end missing, um, then that's how you get your real statistical significance. So, um, so that, that's, the fact that you have that significance um, is significant in itself. Right. The fact that you've got this one group hitting and this other group missing Right. That is that in itself is significant. Good. Okay. Well, that's reassuring. Yeah, Good. because you're not going to get that result by chance. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that itself makes me feel better. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like you to talk to to um, the people listening about your book, Psy Wars, because I found it very impressive. Um, you you work you worked very hard at. Um, basically trying to trying to the battle for the internet, trying to, to, um, to literally fight for, for the, the truth on the internet, um, trying to, because, because they've, they've basically tried to keep the truth. They scientists to, to keep the, the truth off the internet, trying to, Tried to keep the the uh, Wikipedia, um, the 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 whole TED Talk nonsense, all of it, totally materialist. And uh, I, I I'm having thought this basically for my entire career of being an appetite researcher. I found it immensely frustrating because um, I I had to go behind and research totally independently and. I mean, people like Rupert Sheldrake, so many people have had the same problem that I've had. And you fought it. But you, you seem so good-natured about the whole thing. Thank you. Um, so, I, I, first of all, the reason I'm good-natured about it was because I got it out of my system by fighting these people for several years. <laughs> okay. So I no, longer, I no longer have that fight in me, and I can just look at the whole thing objectively. And laugh, maybe? Are you laughing at it? I'm, am I what? Are you laughing at it? Do you think it's funny? Uh, 
It can be, yeah. I mean, they, so I, you know, in the book, I'm basically pursuing two questions. Who are these people and what is motivating them? Uh, and the, uh, the book itself, uh, I, I, I was in the middle of a controversy uh, that had to do with a TED Talk where they took down Rupert Sheldrake's video. They also took down a uh, historian, Graham Hancock's video too. They, they targeted both of these people as peddling pseudoscience. And when I saw that, uh, I thought, you know, Ted is busy making this into a public thing. So let's bring everybody in. And I did everything I could by contacting uh, everybody on my list, uh, Dean Radin and others, that this was going down at Ted and that they should go over there and, and join in the discussion. And boy, did that snowball. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it did. So I was very successful in recruiting people to go, uh, to go join in and just all sorts of intellectually, intellectual luminaries jumped into the fray and it became this enormous discussion. What, uh, what made this into a really interesting thing was that it turned out Ted was a very atheist organization. They probably still are. Uh, a lot of atheist people in there. And the reason that's important is because this was a special type of atheism, which is actually atheistic materialism. Yes. Yep. So, so Ted was uh, basically an atheist materialist organization trying to uh, wrap their head around uh, talks by people with different beliefs and who had different data that contradicted theirs. Uh, and they let this whole thing drag out for oh, like a month and a half uh, because they they were trying to be objective. And on the other hand, they couldn't bring themselves to be objective. So they were going back and forth and back and forth. They brought, you know, they brought the videos down. They allowed uh, Rupert Sheldrake to, they, they brought the videos down. They, they had their skeptics weigh in. They let Rupert Sheldrake respond. He absolutely decimated their arguments. Of course he did. <laughs> of course he did. Yeah. And so they withdrew those arguments and then they kept the videos down anyway, because they just couldn't get past. Yeah. They, they couldn't get past this, this belief system. So I'm looking at all this and I realize I have room here for a book. And this book could also include everything I've been gathering about the skeptics in their organizations as well, because I, uh, I've been writing about that stuff in my blog and uh, just kind of getting this all together. And this was the perfect forum to both tell the story of this Ted talk nightmare and also who the skeptics were and what was going on with them. Uh, and it was, it became a fascinating ride. It was also, uh, as soon as the book was published, all of a sudden uh, the, the parapsychologists in that, in that field kind of took notice of me and I was able to sort of bump myself up in that world. And that was a, that, that was a really nice, a real nice perk from it. So anyway, the skeptics themselves, it turns out that, as I said, they're atheist materialists. Yeah. There aren't, not every atheist is a materialist. 
In fact, these, this materialist side is uh, only, when you're talking about atheists that are materialists, that isn't, it's not even a majority of atheists. So you have to be careful in lumping atheism and skeptics in the same group because, well, the skeptics are all atheists, not all atheists are skeptics. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. yeah. But all materialists are are atheists. I mean, they they kind of have to be. Right. That you can yeah, to be you're a nihilist and um and materialism, you know, materialism is your thing. Right. You die in your dust and that's it. That's right. Um so from there, uh there was a study from the University of Tennessee Chattanooga where somebody examined the various types of skepticism. I'm not skepticism, atheism. And there was a certain type of atheism. There are about 25% of them that were anti-theist. And when you read through the description of anti-theist, you go, well, that's skeptics right there. Right. Um, belligerent, uh, combative, the type of people who will, you know, take on the uh, evangelicals and call them stupid and everything else. Right. Call religion silly and infantile. Right. So those that's your skeptic crowds. And what that revealed to me was that the skeptical movement has its own crazy zone, just like Christianity. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, yep. And so and, and there's a there's a great deal of similarity between your off the deep end evangelicals and your off the deep end uh <laughs> You could diagram it out, couldn't you? Yes. What? I'm sorry? You could diagram it out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, and so you have to be careful with this one because just like, you know, not every evangelical is a crazy. Not every (laughs) diehard skeptic is a crazy. Yeah. Right? They're they're like people that way. (laughs) There's there's some variation there in the the types. So... um, and then every now and then, you'll, you'll, you'll come across an atheist materialist who is actually a completely open-minded skeptic, a real one, not, not, not like these, um, you know, evangelical materialists. Uh, and so when I'm, you know, running into these people, I always have to do kind of a little search there to find out, you know, who they really are. You can't just take it at face value that they're going to be a certain way. Well, I, I thought the book was excellent and sort of playful. And so, I mean, I, I, I to me, um, they all, I, I put them all in the same pail and throw them overboard. Um, anybody who is unwilling to look at the afterlife evidence, to me, they're worth nothing. And, and I just thought, I just thought you were, you were just remarkably, yeah, you, you seem to be enjoying what you were doing. And I thought that was quite remarkable all by itself. Well, you know how uh, the saying that never wrestle with the pig um, because yeah. you get yourself muddy and they enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of like the pig. You're the pig. I know. <laughs> I, that's what exactly what's going on. I, I, I could see that. I, I could. You were enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly this, this, right. This is fun for me because they, um, well, first of all, uh, there are a couple, one of my big motivations is that I, I tend to have very strong protective instincts. And so this, you know, the parapsychologists who are just 
some of them are just really wonderful people just out there doing their thing. And so I can be the attack dog because they really can't do that. They're in academia. They can't, they can't do the things that where that I have an opportunity to do and say the things that I can say because they have to work with these people. Yes. Yeah. Um, but do you think scientists are coming any closer to figuring out that consciousness is primary and pre-existing, which Max Planck discovered um, almost a hundred years ago? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a really slow process, but um, there, there's a few things happening. Uh, and the first one was, of course, the internet. While the skeptics jumped on the internet and you saw what you, everybody's seen with everybody who's involved in this stuff has seen what they've done to Wikipedia. Um, they, uh, the problem for them is that when you start marching the, uh, the information out on the other side and people could choose between them and people can listen to the different arguments from the, uh, from the proponents and from the skeptics, people start to lose interest in the skeptics. And this, this happens to pretty much any open-minded person because you can see after a while, if you start paying attention, that they don't have anything to say. No, right. Um, and that they're, that they're behaving in a very, uh, I would say, tedious manner. Tedious is a good word. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's, it's so self-evident that there's no source of consciousness in the brain. It, it's just, uh, you know, they're spending the money uh, because the money's there, but there's, they, they can't find one and there's just no way to find one. And and to be fair, even some of the uh, leading skeptical uh, neuro- neurology um, neurologists understand the problem that that they can't seem to, they they can't find out. They know where memory forms, but they don't know where where long term memory sits. Yeah, um, they're they're really good at telling you where it forms. Yeah, uh, well, and, that's right, and that's that's the consciousness interface right there. <laughs> yeah, it, right, yeah. and it can be yeah. It's uh, you can look at this as an interface, such as, you know, having a TV, the TV can yes. be broken, but that doesn't do anything to the signal. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there's and that that makes for an interesting argument there. I, I, I think the uh, the fun part here is that the. Uh, the skeptics go on with their blowhard stuff. Uh, you know, announcing to the world how, you know, the way the universe is. And all you have to do is pay attention to realize that this is pure buffoonery. Yeah. Uh, Because, you know, they're not masters of the universe. They don't know. Yeah. Uh, And so this is, this is, this is where it gets amusing for me because anytime you have a stuffed shirt, you have room for some comedy gold. <laughs> and you think this, this is all funny. That's the thing. That's why, that's why I enjoy talking to you, because to you, not everything is funny, which, which, uh, which I guess I find really delightful, in fact. Um, more people would have, should have that attitude toward life. You know, um, something I, I ran into really interesting, uh, I, I ran into really recently that is really, really interesting to me, is that the skeptics have 
put, uh, put a big target on the field of psychology. And this was something that Deborah Katz, uh, she, uh, she's a psychic herself, but she's also a PhD researcher and perfectly capable of, of doing, you know, publishing uh, interesting papers. She was looking into who was making the, the kinds of accusations that the field of psychology was all just pseudoscience and nonsense. And it turned out it's all the same people. There are all these people coming out of these skeptical organizations uh, attacking psychology. And this, is, this is one of the interesting things about skeptics is there's no subtlety to these people at all. They, anything holistic they attack. And you can see this by this really long list of pseudosciences on Wikipedia. I, I mean, if you're listening, check this out. The list is huge. And it includes chiropractic, acupuncture, naturopathy, all these really well-established uh, medical practices, uh, many of them, in fact, covered by insurance. And to the skeptics, everything is a pseudoscience if it's holistic. So yeah. naturally, uh, there's a holistic side to psychology, right? You can't really do psychology without thinking of the mind as a whole. So it must all be pseudoscience. Oh, my God. You know, <laughs> no subtlety whatsoever. No ability. Oh yeah. Um, well, you know, it, it, this is all going to come out. I, it, I think sooner rather than later, it's all going to get straightened out. But um, I wish we could just go on talk. We're, we've actually come to the end of our time. In fact, past it. But I just, oh. I just enjoy hearing you, hearing you opine. I think that uh, I think you're just delightful. Oh, my dear. So, Paranormal Daily News is where the way people would find you. Dot com. I am the science editor for Paranormal Daily News. Yes, uh, it's a uh, it's a publication owned by uh, a gentleman named Jock Brokus. So I'm actually part of an organization now rather than just forging on my own. Uh, it turns out that when I write on there, I now have journalistic credentials. Uh, my goodness. Which is so cool. Yeah. I'm getting so serious. I don't know. I, I can't even begin to say. Wow. Good for yeah. you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and I've been helping the publication uh, push towards a more science oriented, in, in a more science oriented direction. So if you go on there, you can find my articles about a whole host of different uh, parapsychology studies. Uh, and well, I think that's just wonderful. So we'll, we'll put that in the notes, in the program notes. It's been just delightful to have you, and we'll have you again, of course, back to talk with us some more about more wonderful things. And when you come across something else amusing, don't hesitate to contact me, and we'll have you back even sooner. Oh, thank you. And so, again, my dear friends, we've come to the end of our time. This has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm so happy you were with us today. Isn't this been fun? Please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began. You never will end. And when you get that, when you really get it, it changes everything for the better. Next week, our guest is going to be your host. Now that Seek Reality Online is up and running, 
and it's finally born. It feels like it's been a six-month gestation, and I mean that literally. That's just how this feels. I'm going to talk next week about the process of learning, but I had to learn to be able to give you that website, and I'm going to suggest to you how you can personally use Seek Reality Online to free yourself forever from the fear of death. I feel as if I'm giving you the greatest gift there is to give. There's nothing I can give to you that is greater than this certainty that you really are eternal. I've spent my whole adult life doing this research, and now you can have what I've spent my life putting together for you, and you can have it in a year, a year, maybe a year and a half. Seekreality.com is yours now, and next week I'll show you how you can really make it your own. And this week, our guest has been Craig Weiler. Hasn't he been fun? He's been with us for the third time. He's a parapsychology, parapsychology, easy to say, journalist, a speaker, and a host of the popular blog, The Weiler Psy, on the science of parapsychology, skepticism, and the psychics. Craig is a graduate of UC Berkeley, and he runs a small construction business. He began his spiritual path during the New Age movement, and you can tell he never quite got over it. <laughs> and, and, and he 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 teaches, he practices psychic healing. He says he doesn't follow any particular teaching, but he explores a sort of a westernized mixture of science and spirituality. And He's on the social media site Quora, which I guess I sort of think of as a guilty pleasure on my part. I explore there frequently, but he answers questions in a serious way on a wide range of topics and administers a parapsychology space with over 13,000 followers. This week, we've been talking about Psy Research and what it can tell us about the powers of our minds, which actually are almost limitless. My dear friends, I have to, now I'm going to give you a little plug every week for Seek Reality Online. It's just plain seekreality.com. It's your one-stop source for all things afterlife. And we really have come to the end of our time. So meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy, please make the most of this coming week in our one reality, always knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being. And you in particular, most of all in the whole universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.